Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Centered. I'm Nick Brunker, a group director of experience strategy at VML YNR, your host for the show. Thanks for giving us a listen. Every January, technology enthusiasts everywhere set their sights on Las Vegas for the world-famous Consumer Electronics Show, also known as CES, where innovators from around the globe showcase the mega trends that look to paint a picture of the world to come. From flying cars to smart everything, each year, CES seemingly gets more and more incredible than the last. But as customer behavior has shifted, perhaps permanently due to the pandemic, this year's show seemed to become more decidedly focused on solving real human problems versus the sheer novelty of it. To share more with us and talk about this subject and more, I'm so excited to welcome in the Chief Strategy Officer of VML YNR Commerce, Kurt Monk. Kurt, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Nick, thanks for having me. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about the world's largest collection of technology and innovation. So it's pleased be, to be here. Going to be great. I, I am so excited. We, we met yesterday in the pre-meeting, uh, and there's just so much to talk about. I mean, we're going to try to pack it all in in 30 minutes. But before we dive into all that, give us uh, a little bit about your background and your role at VML YNR Commerce. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I'm a chief strategy officer here at VML YNR Commerce. So I get to work with a team of about 45 uh, brand strategists, retail strategists, and marketing science folks on a daily basis. So it's all about helping our customers and clients uh, do their job a little bit better when it comes to commerce and retail. So technology is becoming an increasingly important part of that. And uh, so it seems perfect that it kind of matches my techie geek background <laughs> with my current occupation. So in many cases, I'm uh, in kind of the perfect role. So it, it's one of those things that that I like see myself as a mega nerd and a technology enthusiast, but I've never gone. So I'm, I'm super envious of the fact that you're able to go. Is this a relatively regular occurrence? How long have you been going to CES? I've been going for about 10 years. Um, I've had a number of clients in in my background related to retail and commerce that have been heavily focused on technology, clients like Sony, Samsung, Comcast. Uh, so there was always kind of that marriage of what they sell is technology. But like I said, there's an awful lot of technology that becomes part of now how you sell. Mm -hmm. So there is certainly a, a product version as well as kind of a, a commerce version for being involved with technology today. And CES is increasingly becoming more of a showcase of both of those. So it's uh, it's perfect. So I've been going for 10 years and I love it. And it changes almost every year, which is kind of exciting because, you know, I, I often tell people CES is kind of a backstage pass to what we're going to be talking about in the next year. Mm -hmm. um, that's where a lot of the innovations that haven't yet been picked up by manufacturers are kind of revealed to the world for the first time. And, you know, obviously you see the new TV screens and the new cars and and the new video games and all of that stuff is a is a big part of it. But, um, you know, there's an awful lot that happens in between the headlines on CES, which makes it worthwhile for people who are uh, willing to put in the time and, and really kind of scope it out. And it's not to say that that over the last decade or more that CES has been nothing short, nothing but pizzazz. There has definitely been functional utility based uh, innovation that's come out of these things. And obviously there are the wow moments where, you know, you, you see the 200 inch screen that's 16 K or whatever, but the, as I mentioned, like the flying cars sort of example, but what I think is interesting is we've, you know, looked at life through the pandemic lens over the last couple of years and not just about the pandemic, but overarchingly, you know, human behavior has shifted in such a way that they're looking for 
things and, and brands that meet them where they are and help them solve problems, whether they're big problems or small problems. What what can you do as a brand to be authentic and make life easier? And I feel like, you know, having talked with you a little bit leading up to the to the podcast, that it feels like that's a theme that transcended really the entire week at CES. Talk about what you saw in terms of not just the technology for technology's sake, but technology for progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't talk about CES 2022 without talking about, you know, the the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which has been COVID, right? It, there was an awful lot of technology that was specific around keeping people safe and, you know, returning to as much of a normal life as we possibly can. And, and that, of course, involves humans. It involves decision-making. It involves in how they choose their, to spend their entertainment time and their entertainment dollar. And, you know, it, it, CES has always kind of been an over-the-top celebration of, of technology, and it was certainly that this year. But what we saw was a little bit more inward focus of technology solving human problems. And, you know, as you and I talked uh, the other day when we were getting prepared for this, there was the idea of, of CES was once upon a time and the perception that, you know, you're looking at all of these beautiful screens so that you can enjoy your entertainment better. And that's certainly a part of it. But now you see this technology being kind of hidden in the devices that are solving human problems, like allowing people to exercise better or smarter or track their sleep or keep a better eye on their nutrition or on their children, those types of things that serve a real practical need where you don't have to appreciate the technology behind it, but you certainly appreciate the convenience and the options that it gives you as a human. So I, I find that to be particularly compelling about how technology continues to evolve and more specifically how we talk about it as consumers, because now it's instead of, oh my gosh, look at that. It's, I didn't realize technology could help me do this. Mm -hmm. And, and we, that's where it's interesting. I was going to say, when we think about where, you know, we are as a society, there's nothing more in front of mind right now for folks than, than health. And you were saying, as you, you walked through and you mentioned it earlier, med tech and the evolution of, of how that has helped people not only just kind of get a status check, but really kind of get a pulse of everyone else around them, not just an internal, but an external share of, of okay, how is the world around me feeling? <laughs> and is there somebody who's next to me that's sick? Talk a little bit about what you saw in the med tech space. Yeah, uh, sensors are a big part of CES. That idea of the cameras can now sense your body temperature in real time, you know, that you don't have to use a thermometer, that type of thing. And, and what we saw were a number of examples of TV screens that were displaying our body temperatures as we walked by, um, you know, and it they didn't, of course, ask us. And fortunately, all of us had relative temperatures but you know that sort of technology can either be very overt it can be appreciated and you can act upon it but it can also be covert in decisions are being made about you and in people attending a conference uh, they're essentially hidden which means it potentially allow us to be safer, allow us to self-regulate, also allow to determine what groups you don't want to be a part of because they don't look as healthy as others might. Um, you know, it's one extreme example, but uh, a relatively common one at this year's CES. Another great example uh, of med tech is there was a device that was essentially a, a take-home therapy machine for repairing joint injuries. Huh. And, you know, there's the, many of us have had joint injuries, whether they're knees or ankles or elbows or what have you, 
required us to go to physical therapy, where you went through a progressive of let's move the joint and now let's start to repair the joint and make it stronger. And that requires, of course, a therapist, requires scheduling, requires you leaving work. We all know what that's like. Now there is a device essentially that can fit into a suitcase that you put on a table that will take you through that exact same progression of kind of joint rehabilitation. And it will work on all the major joints, elbows, wrists, knees, ankles, all those sorts of things. And we'll get the joint moving. We'll work on flexibility and then add resistance that starts to rebuild the joint. And that can be done in the comfort of your own home or your own office. And of course, it is connected through your phone to a therapist who's able to monitor your progress, report pain if that's occurring. And, you know, that is a perfect example of where you're kind of democratizing that level of care through a device and a connected thing that now replicates the expertise of a therapist. Um, They're certainly still in the loop. They just don't happen to be in the room. That's pretty cool. From a time horizon, too, I mean, I'm curious to to gauge like the maturity level of some of these technologies. Cause I think there's obviously a wide swath depending on the brand and depending on the, the technology, the innovation, like how soon do you think this, this type of stuff is going to become, you know, active in our daily lives? Cause that's, that's the curve that we keep seeing the hockey stick. Like maybe even it's not even a hockey stick anymore. It's some right angle almost in terms of the technology evolution and how fast things are changing. Are, are you expecting and, and seeing that type of, of med technology, getting implemented, you know, in the next year or two years? Like what, what are some of the time horizons that they were talking about for this stuff? Uh, a lot of this, these things are being manufactured today, right? And they're just being revealed at CES and are being available and, and made to industry. It's interesting, having gone to CES for 10 years like I have, you start to see things that were introduced as an innovation that now become relatively standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm to say I remember when the smartwatch was kind of pioneered at CES and and the Fitbits and all of those and yeah. you know what a deal that was and in the in in many cases in 12 months you started to see brand names selling them direct to consumer uh, in a year and a half you started seeing them being sold at you know national retailers and and that happens fairly quickly um, because you can kind of sense the enthusiasm that comes not only from the attendees that are at CES, but also from the press that shows up as well. So a lot of these technologies show up relatively quickly. And uh, I, you know, I do hope that this home therapy machine can be one that's adopted very quickly. I'll give you one other example that kind of blew me away. Sure. Uh, there was a, it's a camera. It looks like a camera from the 1980s. It's about four by five inches and it's white and it's a portable x-ray machine. Right. I mean, literally, it looked like a, you know, a DSLR camera and it was an X-ray machine. And, you know, you start to wonder about the technology that makes that happen. And then you start to think about the implications of that technology being applied to uh, underserved communities or uh, emergency medicine or first responders where now they have the ability to look into the human body to diagnose some of those those potential problems or in the case of an X-ray machine, a breakage. Right. So, you know, this is way beyond whiz bang technology you start to immediately go to what is the practical application of that to people who need x-ray machines. And, uh, you know, I I can't imagine that there would be a delay in getting that rolled out as 
quickly as possible because now you empower medical professionals to make better decisions much faster in many cases outside of a physical medical facility. That's pretty cool. And you think about the the journeys that that impacts from a customer experience perspective. This is the type of stuff that I think us us as strategists and designers and you know technologists we we crave this type of stuff. And I think it's great that we're we're starting to see those sorts of themes. Not that you didn't see it at, at you know certain points in time over the last decade or so, but I feel like as we've moved into the experience era much much more holistically, it is really really cool to see. The technology serving, you know, the human need and, and going for progress more than than just the the wow factor, which I think is still it's got the coolness factor in its own right, but but it actually serves the purpose. Mobility is another category that I think has always been front of face, whether it's flying cars or drones or whatever. Mobility as a space doesn't necessarily have to do with cars. And speaking of a wide impact, mobility has a really, really broad impact. It's not just about driving yourself or even having the car drive you from A to B. It goes, it goes beyond that. Talk about what you saw in mobility. Yeah, I, I think there are two components to mobility. Uh, first is the the vehicle itself, and I won't call it a car. I'll call it a vehicle because you're you're very rightly uh, assessing the world in that, you know, there will be advances in EV cars, which we saw a lot of. There will be advances in autonomous vehicles, which we saw quite a bit of. So the focus is on making that experience and increasingly the recharging experience of those EVs easier. That's going to be something that will be part of all of our homes moving forward. But the really interesting bits are looking at the new forms of personal transport, whether that's an enclosed person pod that you can move around either a factory or a small city um, that is completely autonomous very little carbon footprint. Um, you know, those sorts of things are happening. A lot of electric bikes, a lot of electric scooters. You know, I, I imagine within a year or so, Nick, we're going to see an autonomous scooter, right, that you essentially straddle and then it takes you on a journey without you having to direct it or navigate it or do any of those sorts of things. So there's a lot of innovation. It typically follows smaller devices, more personal one-on-one -on -one transport instead of the standard sedan and coupes that mm -hmm. we talk about it in terms of taking a family of four somewhere, that seems to be going away. It's more of moving one individual. So that's a, one extreme. Another extreme is, you know, John Deere had their autonomous tractor at CES. You know, so when you get done looking at all of the 8K displays and VR goggles, you wander across the parking lot <laughs> and there's this three hundred thousand uh, dollar giant green monster that can uh, do what it does without human intervention for eight hours at a time um, you know that that is remarkable as well so so it it's less about the whiz bang kind of comforts of transportation and more about the practical application of moving people safely quickly um, without a whole lot of interaction from an operator or a director and, and that's kind of cool so, but what I think is interesting to to push on the John Deere example or any of the like technologies, it is using tech in a really intelligent way. Pardon the pun to remove the need for some of those. And I'm not going to call it a mundane activity by any means, but activities that a human might not be best served doing at a moment right. in time. Because now, think right. of a, a farmer as an example. I think we were talking about this in the pre-show yesterday. It, it frees them up to be doing more effective things with their time where the technology can kind of take care of those other things. I mean, is, is that a trend from a mobility perspective you're seeing across the board as well? 
Without a doubt. And, you know, the farming is an extreme example because now the farmer can do the things that the farmer needs to do to raise an efficient, safe farm and allow some of the manual work that, you know, once upon a time was done by horses and then was mm -hmm. done under our direction and tractors. Now that is being done by an entirely different entity so that you can be thinking about crop rotations and, and environmental science and weather conditions and things like that as a farmer. But there are also the things that you're doing wall transportation that is is happening that i think is is interesting from kind of a cx and ux standpoint mm -hmm. because you can imagine a future not too far in the future where we will be doing more productive activities while we're commuting and right the, the promise of autonomous vehicles is in the case of those of us that work in the agency businesses we would be communicating with clients or writing presentations or or doing the types of creative and strategic work that we do while we're commuting um, in many cases in our own vehicle and and i think that's interesting and from my perspective as kind of a commerce geek geek i think about the potential for people to be doing the shopping and ordering and buying that they need to be able to do far more productive activities so that way when they get home they can spend time with their families and those sorts of things so uh, you know i think there will be a revolution in the environment of transportation and how we choose to spend that time whether it's for rest and relaxation and in our entertainment or uh, productive pursuits as well so it will free up millions of hours of commuting time uh, which i think we all desperately need there's another topic I want to get to before we run out of time, and, and that has to do with sustainability. We had a great conversation uh, on a, a previous human-centered podcast. I think it was episode six. If you want to go back and look for those listeners who are following along, just go back into the show uh, episode archives and then listen to, to Jen Bonham talk about uh, sustainable design. Um, and we talked about kind of the, the triad of feasibility, desirability, uh, and viability, but she introduced in that podcast an idea of sustainability as a factor in which we design against. Is it good for the the world? Um, and you know, it's a great podcast. Totally, totally worth going back and listening if you haven't heard it or just want to listen to it again. But when I was thinking about this yesterday, again prepping for the show, you were talking about how sustainability has has taken kind of a front and center look, and how technology is evolving in that space as well. And we know, as we've talked at many times on the show, not just on that other previous episode, that customers quite literally are putting their dollars towards brands and initiatives that are sustainable in nature. They, they literally monetize brands that care about the environment. And it seems like, from what you were telling me, and you can tell the audience now, sustainability technology is also front and center this year. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the previous podcast was all about the choices that we make and kind of our preferences. And many of us are trying to buy in a more responsible way, whether it's the the brand of the company or kind of the intrinsics of the product that we're buying, either being reusable or recyclable or what have you, somehow kind of walking lighter on the planet. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing this year is is a little bit of a, of a revolution in that now we're expecting technology to solve some of those sustainable issues. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of great examples. There's this this really kind of a strange looking device called the Waste Shark um, that showed up from a group from the Netherlands. And it's, I don't know, it's about the size of, of maybe a recliner and it charges through uh, solar. And what it does is essentially it's a Roomba for waterways and estuaries. And this thing charges up, it goes around and scoops up plastic waste or anything else that's kind of floating on the surface of the water. It bails it, 
drops it off on the shore and then goes out and kind of refills itself, right? So, you know, there's obviously the behavior of don't throw your plastic in the water, which hopefully many of us are doing, but now there is a technology solution that's largely autonomous that will be solving for those who don't follow that advice, um, which is kind of interesting. So there is kind of an end-to-end -end solve through technology for something that we've been talking about for, for 20 years, those of us that have been paying attention to it. Um, that's one example. Another great example is essentially artificial shade trees. Um, as many of us know, it takes a while to grow a tree, but now we have technology and materials that allow us to essentially replicate the shade and the cooling patterns of, of natural trees by using artificial and recycled materials. So it allows us to kind of create that canopy, create that shade, wow. kind of uh, facilitate in public spaces and you know those things can be erected in an hour uh, in a situation where it would take 25 years to get a shade tree to the same level of kind of performance around an environmental condition so that's kind of cool you know it's a simple example of a computer saying you need shade here because people will come if it were more comfortable and then it kind of creates itself that's that's pretty cool yeah and you think about the energy impact that it could be if you're in an area where you know, maybe there there is um, some vegetation management issues where you're getting too much sun or what have you. You obviously, you know, can't remediate that problem very quickly without something like that to come into play. So very, very interesting opportunities there in that space. And, and I think uh, exciting to consider how, how that could actually become a way for, you know, brands to have an impact perhaps even more so than, than, you know, world governments. I know that that sometimes you come back to the idea that, it just takes time. I mean, not to go down right. too much of a political path, but I think generally speaking, you look at governments across the world, it, it just takes time and resources and effort to get things done and accomplished, where in, in this case, it seems like the free market might be able to solve some otherwise really, really, you know, wicked challenges. There's there's no doubt about that, right? We you know we had a lot of conversations at CES about you know there are the charging of electrical vehicles, uh, EVs, but there's also the ability for the EV to serve as a battery for your home, mm -hmm. right? So we start to think about uh, electrical current kind of flowing both ways, not only recharging our EVs but also giving us uh, perhaps maybe a little bit less taxing footprint on the electrical ecosystem and, and grid. And and to that point, uh, we are we are seeing kind of a shrink of appliances, not because more and more of us are living in cities, but in many cases when you need to do a load of laundry, you may not you need to use your entire washer and dryer's energy mm -hmm. consumption for a few articles of clothing. So, you know, we, we saw a, a washer and dryer called Bob. Um, that was about the size of, uh, I don't know, an old television set. And it allowed you to wash and dry two or three articles of clothing using standard household current and and uh, essentially just a little bit of tap water that you add yourself. And, you know, the the, the electrical consumption of that is much, much smaller than, than you would expect from traditional appliances. We're also seeing kind of in-kitchen composting, um, a device that's smaller essentially than a trash can that you would put your food waste into. It promises no smell, no mess, anything like that, but now kind of reduces the the physical output of, of waste products that your house is producing as well. And it's kind of designed for apartment dwellers in that it produces potting soil and things like that essentially is the output. So Brilliant. Yeah, it's it. To your point, you know, we we don't see a lot of national governments showing up to CES saying, "Hey, we've <laughs> yeah. solved 
else. <laughs> but uh, you know, we are see, seeing hundreds of innovators and companies coming and saying, hey, we think we can help. We have an idea. And and it's it's exciting to see what they come up with because every year we're a little surprised. And again, it comes back to what, what Jen Bonham was talking about in that previous episode. It's, it's sustainability as a factor in design, which ultimately hopefully leads to consumer benefit and business benefit. And it's obviously – as we've seen, feasible, it can be done. Uh, so that's that's, that's right. really cool. Um, a couple of other quick things before we run out of time. I, I know you mentioned screens earlier, but I, I can't escape a, a CES conversation without getting into the whole uh, metaverse and immersive experiences. I know you saw a couple of things, and you can hit them quickly, on the evolution of screens and how that's changing. And then really, if you could, just give us a, a brief takeaway on where are we with the metaverse as it relates to CES and, and the path forward there? Yeah, yeah. Two big questions. You know, just when you think you've seen everything that can be done on a screen in terms of getting <laughs> bolder, brighter, bigger, and more detailed, uh, Samsung and LG and Sony surprise you. What I can say is we're seeing uh, evolution in kind of the physical design of screens. One in particular stood out. Um, Samsung has a new device called the Arc, which is essentially, it's, it's beyond a curved screen. It's almost 130 degrees where you feel like you're not really uh, looking at it as much as you step into it, um, which is kind of remarkable because that one screen now is providing your entire field of view. Uh, it's certainly designed to be a monitor, but it can be just as entertaining for, for other types of content. The other thing that was a little bit surprising was the idea of monitors moving from the horizontal or portrait orientation to a vertical orientation based on what you're doing at the time. Hmm. So if you're watching a movie, it would be the traditional horizontal format, and then the screen itself would physically rotate on the wall once you turn it into a workplace setting where you and I would be chatting on a Teams call like we are now at the top half, and I would, of course, be engaged in all of the social media and communications <laughs> that I need. Love that, and and the screens now are smart enough to sense he doesn't need a portrait orientation; he needs vertical, which I think is kind of cool. Um, there were also a good number of kind of portable, battery-powered projectors that uh, tended to show up at, at CES this year, and these are way beyond the business projectors that we're used to seeing on conference tables all over the United States. It's a little device that looks a little bit like a quart-sized paint can that has a battery in it that connects wirelessly, of course, to your phone, where you now have the ability to watch content or project content on any surface that can't move away from you any time of day. So the ability of you can create a window in a windowless office, you can create content for your children on top of a tabletop during dinner time, um, where they're really kind of taking the physical constraints of where screens typically had to be, like on a table or on a wall, and now makes virtually anything uh, the potential to be a, a screen and allow content to be projected on. It seems like a simple idea, but when you see it in practice, you start to think about how far this can go. So, because once you take away the the, the physical requirements of mounting a screen, then mm -hmm. it gets really interesting. So, Especially so, when the quality is there. That's, that's the other thing. Sorry to interrupt, but the, the thought yeah. of it's a, it's about quality too. That was always the, the the point of diminishing returns with projectors or you know doing what you suggested on the wall or on the table is you're only going to get so much quality out of it. And it sounds like that's changing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and that's related to your second question, which is a bigger question of kind of what is the, where are we with the metaverse? <laughs> uh, 
you know, you, you couldn't walk six feet in Las Vegas this last month without seeing metaverse referenced in some ways. Mm-hmm. There are a lot because at CES, there was a lot of technology that's going to be creating the metaverse, right? It's that idea of those experiences that take us out of the physical and, and kind of environmental limitations that we're in and, and enable us to interact in new and very special ways. We're seeing that, of course, in gaming in terms of increased kind of physical activity, the haptics of an experience upon us, whether it's vests or gloves that get hot, that get cold, that can stimulate vibration or pressure. Um, you know, it's that idea of bringing physicality to it. Um, but what I what I can say is uh, CES did not solve what the metaverse is going to be, but what they did give us some of the ingredients that we're going to need to create it. Um, one example that came out of China in particular again, knowing I'm a commerce geek, um, was actually the ability for us or a user of this service to shop and buy in the environment of your choosing. Um, So in my case, it would be an outdoor store or something like that where I feel most comfortable. Regardless of the thing you're shopping for, that would be physical environment that you were put in. Another option would be a very high-end mall like you would see in Dubai where everything is white and perfect and polished and clean. <laughs> and then you have the choice of doing the browsing and the shopping that you would normally do in kind of a digital environment that happens in front of you in that environment. And then you can toggle off uh, on and off whether or not you would like to have an assistant kind of walk you through your options and help you make choices and, and find the products you need. and. And what's interesting is you're now not going into their portal as a retailer or as a brand. They are stepping into the portal where you feel most comfortable in terms of the environment, the level of care and kind of advice that you need in navigating those choices. And you have the ability to slide those up and down based on what you're shopping for. Household products, I don't need a lot of support and advice. I just need to know what's available and what can get to my house in an hour. It solves for that. Shopping for a new automobile or personal transportation device, I'm probably going to need some help. That's where the bot would come in and help you with some of that selection. And, And that's great because there's no pressure. It happens at your speed. It allows you to go as deep into that experience in terms of seeing, hearing, and and reading as you would like to go. And I I think that's interesting. Of course, there's a lot of computational power at the back end of that. But what it promises is a far more bespoke experience that is paced the way you need to go through that experience and not the way someone had designed it for you. And I think that's interesting. It takes you back to that human-centered thing that we started this conversation with. That's it. I was just going to say to kind of put a bookend on it, 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 it really is about understanding where brands and technology can help improve and, and allow the customer to kind of be in control, uh, which not to say that it, it always has to be, you know, a one-way street, the customer has to run everything, but but inevitably there's a dialogue that happens and how technology can help assist and enable that dialogue in a meaningful way on behalf of the customer, of course. Um, right. I, I just think it's fascinating. If you, if you bake it all up and say, implications for CX practitioners, pros, experience designers, uh, people who are in the space that are just geeks like us. Um, what are maybe a handful of implications to consider if, if you look back on your week there and, and could boil it down to a handful? Um, I think the technology is getting more sophisticated, but it's becoming more invisible. 
as part of those experiences because we, it, it produces a result that is more uh, friendly for us, but it doesn't require you to understand the technology. The learning curves, I think, are going to be much shorter, right, and much less steep than they have been in technology in the past. Um, I, I, I do think the idea of technology solving real problems, whether they're human problems or uh, potentially even social or political problems or environmental problems, um, you know, there in many cases can and should be a technology-based solution for that. So I think we should be open to thinking a little bit broader about what technology can do for us, because there's no doubt that it has broken out of the entertainment and gaming and drone box and is starting to become far more practical. Um, I did see a piece of technology that was a drone that actually flies over areas that have had forest fires and it plants tree seeds um, at kind of these, you know, predetermined coordinates that are best for what that a pine forest should be in, in 10 years. And and I, I that's another example of, you know, drone technology has been a plaything or a movie thing, but now it is essentially rebuilding forests mm-hmm. in doing so. Uh, relatively autonomously. So um, there's almost no limit to where we can go with this. So I think the potential is high. I think the positivity of how technology can affect our lives is way beyond what it's been before. And it's really starting to kind of come out of its shell. And I maybe it took COVID to do that. I don't know. But what it did do was allow a lot of innovators with really, really good ideas to uh, essentially not be hidden by the LGs and the Samsungs of the world. And and CES uh, got a little better view of that this year. Well, and what's exciting about it, to kind of to put a, a bow on this part, which is tech is going to become you know, synonymous with customer experiences. It, it already is in a sense, but the more and more quickly uh, we transition to a world where some of the things you talked about are are commonplace just like we talk about you know your your expectation of a brand is only as good as the the things that you have experienced from some other brand <laughs> so the bar mm-hmm. continues to go up which is good uh, you know r- rising tides lift all boats so to speak but it is really interesting to consider at, at the rate of change we are seeing things evolve in technology the baseline expectation is really, really going to be a moving target almost every year. It's almost like between CESs every year, there's going to be a, a new high that you're going to have to hit or a new benchmark you're going to have to hit just to just to stay in the game. And that's got to be right. that's got to be the fun part. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, the old expression was, oh, my gosh, there's an app for that. <laughs> I mean, I think we have moved beyond that and starting to think, well, there is a technology for reducing plastic in the oceans, mm-hmm. right? There is a technology for providing shade and and, and protection from the sun for people. Um, you know, those things exist or should exist. And, and I would guess if you've had the thought, someone's probably working on it and we'll show it next year. So cool. So cool. We'll have to yeah. do this again next year after you go. And we'll see how, how we compare this podcast to the one that we record a year from now. But before we lose you, timing-wise, uh, I'd love to to check in with you on uh, a, a bit about Kurt off the clock. Uh, so I know, you know, you and I are, are kindred spirits in the sense we're both nerds. We love, you know, technology, um, obviously love customer experience and commerce. Um, but what, for those who may not have had a chance to, to meet you or, or get to know you a little bit, would you consider a, a fun fact about Kurt Monk? Um. Well, the easy one to pull out is I've been in two movies. Uh, what? One is a 
Yeah, I know. It's true. It wasn't by design. I, I didn't really <laughs> want to do that. Um, I was a corpse in a movie called The Day After, which, of course, was about <laughs> nuclear Armageddon in the 80s. Uh, a small corpse, but I was a corpse. And then I was in uh, the movie uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. No Not way! I was. I was in that famous scene at O'Hare where uh, Julia and, and I'm forgetting the other name of uh, the stars were coming together. And I happened to be going through O'Hare and they kind of grabbed me and they said, we need you to stand here for three minutes. And then suddenly Julia Roberts was in front of me and they were filming. And uh, yeah, so I was in the airport for about 30 minutes, 20 of which were in that scene. And then I got on a plane and went home. But so, um, hold, yeah. on, hold on a second. How, how, totally random. How did that though? So it sounds like that one was random, but but how? I mean, I can understand the random chance of being in the airport. You get snacks, but you've been in two. How how the hell did the other one come to come to pass? Uh, the the producers of this movie were filming something in in my area of uh, of the world, and they essentially went to a grade school and said, "Hey, we're filming a movie, and we need a bunch of kids." Oh. And uh, so they sent note home with our parents, and my parents signed it. And then I showed up on set, and they basically said, "Lie here and don't move for forty five minutes." <laughs> so that's what I did. I was overqualified to be a, a corpse in Hollywood, apparently. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, do you already have at least for the uh, the one with Julia? Roberts, do you have the, like the minutes and seconds of the frame that you're in, like plastered on your wall, so you can use that as your claim I, to fame? <laughs> I don't, Nick. But uh, based on your comment, I'm going to have to go find that. So you must text us, and we will find a way to share that in the show notes, so you can you can see Kurt Monk on the silver screen, or maybe on one of those like 600 inch 16K. Uh, TV screens that LG or Sony are working on. I, I don't think that would be anyone's attention or good for anyone. So but <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to find that for you, Nick. Kurt, it was so much fun talking about CES. We could do this for, for another hour if we had time, but uh, sadly we do not. So thank you again for carving out 30 minutes. Uh, seriously, it really means a lot. You spent the time with us. And I know I personally really have a, a passion for this uh, this topic. So I think others will as well. Thanks for the, again for the time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. To learn more about our CX practice and our approach to the work, check us out online at vmlyr.com slash CX. We'd also love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or just shoot us an email. The address is humancentered at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.